Blessings. This is uh, the class in honor of all those in need protection. And uh, hopefully they'll, uh, I don't know if there's an actual ceasefire now or it's coming to one, but uh, it should be uh, the ultimate ceasefire. With all 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 guns laid down and turned into plowshares from Mashiach now, Lachaim. Amen. Okay, I'm just gonna mute. Okay, Shavuot Tov, everybody. Good and welcome to everybody. To Michael and to Elka. Elka is here. Zach, welcome. And uh, Neil, also first time. Tim, Koi, and Andrew, Heather, Davida, Art, Alice, and Ahuva, Liba, and Vilma. All right. Hi, everybody. So this week's Parsha will be the fifth in a row that deals with uh, making a home for God. We started with Parsha's Truma, where Hashem said, Asuli Mikdash v'shechanti v'seicham. Make a tabernacle, make a, a, a mikdash, actually a sanctuary, and I will dwell amongst them, amongst um amongst the people, amongst the Jewish people. And uh, there comes a command. In that part, the command was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses. Excuse me. And uh, then it continues speaking about things that have to do with this home for God, Parshish Tetzavah, with the clothing for the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Then we go into Parshish Kisiso, and last week, Vayakel, and this week, finally, Pekude. So it's like five portions in a row with dealing with making this home for God. And um, so in this week's Parsha, let us share the screen over here. You see something very, well, we always see something intriguing. So I'm going to read it in the Hebrew first, and then in the English, because sometimes in the Hebrew just uh, it rings better. Uh, these are the pekude, that's the name of the parsha, the numbers of the mishkan, mishkan ha'edus, the mishkan of the testimony. Then continues, which uh, was counted by Moshe. By Moshe's command, uh, this was the work of the Levites under the direction of the Samar, the son of Aaron, the Koihein. So that's how the parsha begins. Now, 
you know, the sages always pick up on some kind of anomaly, something that, you know, seemingly um, is out, either out of place or a redundancy. And right away, we see something that is quite clear and redundant is the fact, if you'll see over here in the Hebrew, these are the numbers, Hamishkan Mishkan. The word Mishkan is two times in a row, right? Now, the first one is referring to the, these are the numbers of the Mishkan, and then the Mishkan of testimony. But obviously, it could have been said that, you know, these are the numbers of the, of the Mishkan of testimony. It didn't have to say Mishkan of testimony. Could have said just one time. So the redundancy, why? So the Midrash um, deliberates on this and gives us a homiletic understanding of this. And it says as following, we see in front of us, the Midrash says, why is Mishkan Mishkan written twice? So Rabbi Shmuel said that the temple is destined to be collateralized, which is the word Mishkan, mash, if you take away the vowels below, Right, so there it's spelled Mishkan, but take away the vowels, you could you could pronounce it Mashkan, which means collateral. The Mishkanim twice in the first destruction and the second destruction. Therefore, it says Mishkan twice. So again, what is the meaning over here of the fact that it says Mishkan twice? Because the word Mishkan also means Mashkan collateral and the first and the second holy temples were destroyed and hence they are called a collateral hence they're called a collateral what does that mean i mean they're how are they a collateral so what's collateral so we got a lawyer over here maybe uh you know for us novices what's collateral so if uh, if Ruvain owes Shimon money, right? If Ruvain owes Shimon a thousand dollars, Shimon takes uh, his um, you know watch that might be worth a thousand dollars as collateral, just in case he doesn't pay the money, right? That's what happens. It's a guarantee. That's what collateral is. So what's the illusion over here? That the holy temple, God seized it as collateral. So what's the collateral? What, 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 what are we paying back with? In other words, we owe God something. What do we owe him? Hmm? Our service? Yes. But we owe him the building of the Mishkan so he can dwell amongst us. Why do we uh, owe temple, that to him? The temple got destroyed because uh, we weren't united, and that got two times destroyed, two times exiled. Uh, the Babylon, the Babylon exile, and the Roman exile, and so, therefore uh, we have to uh, unite us. Like the Father wants well, us well, to change. Wait, 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 You're saying very good, Michael, but you're you're saying uh, you're saying. You're saying too much, not too, I wouldn't say too much. That's not right. I wouldn't say that. You're saying excellent, actually. 
but I, I want to break it down first. So because you, you, in other words, the collateral is that we owe. What do we owe? We destroyed that we because of our sins, we destroyed the holy temple. Oh. Right? Because of our sins, we are collectively responsible as the Jewish people that the holy temple was destroyed. So in that sense, we owe. We owe, mm. right? So God now is he, he's taking the the, the holy temples is collateral, so to speak, in, in destruction. And what do we have to do? We have to pay him back. How are we paying him back? Mitzvah and Torah study. Yes. And that, that will not, build. Not complete. Not yes, that, but not. That we unite. We have to unite. And yes. That is what. Another uh, word. Okay, Michael, I'm going to interrupt you because uh, you're soon going to be teaching the class. <laughs> you're doing such a good job uh, <laughs> i, uh, I want to hear one word and someone besides michael give me one word unite no michael said that word already i, I know i, I thought i was gonna i thought he gave me a good hint no 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 i mean fuse. he's not wrong he's not wrong in what he said but that's not the word okay fuse to fuse uh, fuse no fuse oops no. Come on. You know it. What's okay, the Michael. question? What do, what do we have to do? We have to pay back. So Michael's right. And, and you're right. Uh, uh, and uh, that it's, uh, you know, we have to unite. But that's not what it means, what we have to do specifically. Repent. Ah, Zach. <laughs> Chuva, we have to do chuva. What does chuva mean? To give back. The, the word chuva means to return. We owe God. We have to return to God something. What do we have to return? Return. Be united, like you said. Tor mitzvahs, obviously, that's in general, but specifically to have Abbas Israel, to have uh, um, to have, as we're learning now in chapter thirty-two of Tanya, right? To have Abbas Israel, uh, love of a fellow Jew. And uh, that will bring us back, re give us, will be, will return to God, will return what we owe Him. So we pay back, we pay back that that was was given to us. That's what needs to be done. All right, very good. You're good, all of you. Hold on, it's getting warm over here. Baruch Hashem. Okay. So we have to do that to get the the Mishkan back? Right. That's the Mashkan. Yeah, that's what we have to do. We have to do Chuvah. That's that's payment. That's payment for what we were given that we destroyed, so to speak, right? Or that we caused to be destroyed, right? So we have to give back. We owe. That's the chuva we have to do. That's going to return. That's our return, right? We'll then give back what we owe. And then comes with that, Mitzvah the third and final holy temple, Mashiach. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah? We're good? All right. So what's interesting to note over here in this week's parsha. Right, it's speaking about the Mishkan, which was that which was made in the desert, you know, lasted the 40 years, 
in the desert and alluded there, right, in the fact that the uh, Mishkan Mishkan is twice mentioned, is um, what's going to happen about thirteen hundred years later, the first holy temple is going to be destroyed, right? Uh, 1800 years, uh, 1800 years later, the second holy temple is going to be destroyed, is hinted in the words of the Torah. So at the same time, what it's suggesting to us is that there's something special about the Mishkan, that the Mishkan will not get destroyed. In other words, the Mishkan, which is the tabernacle, that which was in the 40 years in the desert, right? It will not get destroyed. The two temples get destroyed. But Moishe's Mishkan is eternal. As a matter of fact, when the Jews entered into the Holy Land and they built a new Mishkan in Gilgal, they buried the one that Moishe built. So it still exists. And as the Talmud tells us, the enemies were able to destroy the two holy temples, but that of Mishkan, they weren't able to destroy. That which of Moshe Rabbeinu, they were not able to destroy. Is that clear? Why is that? So the Talmud tells us because it's the handiwork of Moshe Rabbeinu. Since it's something that it says, the Mishkan that Moshe made, I mean, many Jews were involved, but it's, so to speak, under his name, under his uh, auspices, even though Betalo was the architect and, and you know responsible for the actual day-to-day -day dealings, but it's his handiwork and therefore, it's eternal. The Sephorno, which is a 16th century commenta uh, commentator, suggests that, that there's another added dimension of the uniqueness of the Mishkan, that because of that, it has, uh, it, it was not destroyed. And he says the following, let's go back and share the screen. So he says the following. The Mishkan of, uh, of testimony, right? In other words, the verse says it's a Mishkan, but then it says Mishkan of testimony, right? So the Torah relates the qualities of the Mishkan that made it worthy of being eternal and not falling into the hands of our enemies. The first is that it's a Mishkan of testimony, that it is contained the tablets of testimony. The second is that it was Moshe's command. It was on account of this that the divine presence, the Shekhinah, rested on their handiwork and kept it from falling into the enemy's hands. However, the temple that Solomon was uh, built, artisans from Tyre, non-Jewish artisans, although the, uh, the divine presence rested in it, it wore away its parts. It needed to be maintained, and eventually it fell into enemy hands. Continues. Second Temple, however, 
which met neither of these conditions, did not have the divine presence rest in it, and it fell into enemy hands. But the second house was not a mishkan of testimony, that is, it did not have the tablets of testimony, it was only constructed at Cyrus's command. So what is the Isaparno saying here? Very interesting that um, the Mishkan has the quality that it is, got the Ark, of the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which the tablets are there. They were there the entire time, right? The first holy temple, they were there only, uh, only for a part of the time, not the whole time. Second, second temple didn't have the Ark of the Covenant at all. Before the first temple was destroyed, it was hidden in the underground um, tunnels. You know, uh, you know, the Vatican has a lot of stuff that belongs to Jews. A lot of stuff. They don't even know what they have. Yeah, because we're, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about that it's over there. Uh, it's for 1,500 years that they have things there. But one thing they don't have is the Ark of the Covenant. Because that was hidden in a very great maze of tunnels underground. That when it was realized that the Jewish people, the Jewish people, and King Yoshaya, uh, that uh, there would be eventual destruction of the first holy temple, the Ark of the Covenant was hidden away. So it's there somewhere. Um, so, so the Mishkan had that great quality. And the second thing is that the Mishkan was made by the Jewish people, led by Moshe Rabbeinu. The second, and there were non-Jews that were involved. And uh, I mean, the first temple, rather, and the second temple, non-Jews were involved. And even the command of the second one was Cyrus. So um, as a result, it doesn't have the same eternity as the Mishkan. Is that clear? So a question, though, that then that we need to ask is why are we learning about the eternity of the Mishkan um, juxtaposed to the Holy Temple, which we're saying was destroyed um, and is, you know, collateral. Why are the two things coming here together? Is there another message here, a deeper message that we need to take away from this? Why would the the uh, the, the the Mishkan need to be sort of uh, judged or compared in the verse to the two holy temples that would be destroyed ultimately? We're not talking about the holy temples. The holy the destruction of the holy temples would be seven, would be uh, what was it? sorry. 1300 years and 1800 years later, the first and the second. So why is it here? What's the discussion over here? So we've been explaining in previous class, classes that the Mishkan and the sanctuary, the Holy Temple, that ultimately it is not only a collective buildings, building that God's presence, but as the verse says, it's in every single one of us. So it's within us. So we need to understand what does it mean, the sanctuary within us, 
that uniquely um, has the Ark of the Covenant, what is in that reference, and what does it mean that it is built by Moshe Rabbeinu? What is the unique meaning behind that? How is that explained or explains the uh, personal Ark of the Covenant that's in every single one of us? So the Rebbe explains in this week's parsha, in the Sicha. Every Jew is a sanctuary to God, as we mentioned, as the verse says. As famously said in the verse, make a sanctuary so I will dwell in them. God dwells amongst the Jewish people. There are three sections to the temple. The Azara, which is the courtyard. The Holy, which is where the candelabra is. The Golden Altar, which has the incense offered on it. And then the table that has the lechem aponim has the showbread, that the, the unique bread that was put there um, every week. That's in the holy. And then you have the holy of holies in which stood the Ark of the Covenant, the Arai. So in a similar fashion, there are three sections in every Jew's personal temple. Spiritually, the Azara, which is the outer alt where the outer altar stood, represents our outer heart, the holy, which contained the inner altar, which is the inner heart, and the holy of holies, which contained the are, the innermost inner heart, the yachida, the level of the soul that cannot be opposed by any opposing force. Continues in the team. It is said, even as much lower levels of the soul, that even when a person sins, they remain loyal to God. That is, they always remain whole, eternal, and it is impossible for anything to exert control or affect them in any way. This level of the soul is the Moses that lies within each and every person. Along similar lines, the Aaron, that is the Torah, is the, identified with Moshe, as is stated Remember the Torah of Moshe, my servant. Okay, so what do we have? So we have different layers of the heart. We all understand that from when we learned Tanya. So we have a layer of the heart, uh, the outer layer, which is the outer altar, right? What is the, other, uh, the outer altar? Where you bring sacrifices, right? We bring sacrifices to God. And that is for um, the, you know, the things that we need to, to fix in our lives. We bring offerings and so on, right? That, that's the basic idea of. So on the outer layer of the heart, there are things that we need to fix in our lives, right? There are things that uh, outer layer that uh, we have desires and lusts for, that uh, those things need to be, as we will learn, brought on the altar of God, right? Then we have the inner heart, which is reflected by the inner altar. It's those deeper desires that we have, deeper values and and things that are about a connection, right? 
a deeper connection. And then we have the inner of the inner, where the Ark of the Covenant is. And what is the Ark of the Covenant in, in the Holy of Holies? That refers to the that part of our of us, which is the quintessential part of the soul, the essence of the soul, um, what's called Yechida, or it's also the part of Moshe that's in every single one of us, which is interesting. As the Alter of says in Tanya in chapter 42, every Jew possesses a spark of Moshe in their soul. After all, Moshe is one of the seven shepherds who provide godly sustenance and life to the entire Jewish nation, which is why he's called the, sh the shepherds. Moshe was the overseer of them all, meaning of all the seven shepherds. Um, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Yosef, you know, they're, all, uh, they're all considered as, as faithful shepherds, right? Um, so, um, so Moshe was the overseer of them all, and others of all the shepherds he is. He is what's the quintessential faithful shepherd, right? So what do we have over here? An interesting idea that the Mishkan, right, has the Ark of the Covenant. That is something that was Moshe, you know, the, the Torah, which is in the Ark of the Covenant, which is Moshe's Torah, right? Torah's Moshe, as we call it, that represents the spark within every single Jew, right? It's the hidden spark that's in every single one of us. It's Moshe's handiwork that's inside of us. So where is that today? Where is it? Anybody? It's in the animalistic soul waiting to be refined. Um, in a way, yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? So again, remember we have different layers of the heart, right? That represent the courtyard, the out, which is where the outer altar is, right? Those are the things that we need to like to fix because you bring in the outer cor courtyard, you bring offerings there on the altar, right? Meaning the things that you need to fix because that's the offering that you're bringing. Then we have the inner altar, which is the golden altar where the incense is brought. That's an inner part of our heart, which is a deeper part of the true desires that we have of being connected. The outer heart, we're kind of, uh, you know, be all over the place, so to speak, right? Um, and the then we have something more. It's not the inner heart; it's the inner of the inner, which is called the chida, 
it's called the spark of Misha that we have in inside of us. It's the Ark of the Covenant that's inside of us. It's the quintessential, you know, Jew that I am. So it's deep. It's buried. Just like the Mishkan is buried. Right? Literally. It's literally buried. Literally buried inside of us is that essence of our quintessential soul. The, the um, buried within us. Yet, it's buried, but it remains eternal. Just like the Mishkan is eternal, so is that part in me eternal. So that part in me is hidden, but it's inextinguishable. So because the eternity of the Mishkan, we have the eternity of our soul also. Okay? Is that clear? So rem remember we spoke about the two temples, that they were taken as collateral, right? And what do we say collateral means? That you give something, right? In order that you will pay back what you need to pay back. So what do we need to pay back? We have to do tshuva. That's what we need to do. And then God will pay back. Well, what's he going to give us? The third temple. Exactly. It's going to give us a third temple. That's what's going to happen, right? So in that sense, in that sense, so think about it like this. Since it's called, remember, in the verse, important idea over here. In the verse, what is it called? It's called collateral. When you get collateral, what do you do with it? Do you destroy it? No, you hold on to it because you got to return it afterwards. So in that respect, the first and second holy temple, on a, not on a physical sense, but in spirit, are not destroyed. Therefore, what are they? Also eternal in that sense. Now, the difference is, is that the Physical Mishkan is eternal in the sense that it's physically in the ground. Mashiach will come, I'm sure he'll know where to find it. <laughs> right? They might be excavating for it now, but they're not going to find it. I don't believe it. Well, why? Maybe, yeah, listen, God can do whatever, <laughs> however he wants things to happen, right? But <laughs> So this is what the Rebbe explains in the Sicha. So this answers a great question of why the verse would allude to the destruction of the temple with the word Mishkan, which is rendered as Shenishmashkin, uh, uh, collateralized. Very, uh, I don't even know if that's such a word in English, but whatever. <laughs> The point of the collateral is not that the object that has been uh, made as collateral is lost to the original owner, or that it is entirely transferred to the possession of the lender. 
Rather, it is merely held temporarily by the lender, so that eventually this very same object, the collateral, is returned to the borrower. So it is with the temples. Their destruction does not mean that they are gone completely, God forbid. Rather, like collateral, the temple itself, first and second, will be returned to the Jewish people, will re re be returned in an eternal manner. Right? And that's why it's going to be the third. But even now, as it is being held as collateral, meaning on some level of in spirit, right? There is still eternity. How's that eternity express itself today? Well, in one way it expresses itself is the Western Wall is a holy place. The place of the temple is holy. Right? The Mishkan was the place holy? No. They traveled 40 years in the desert. Wherever they went, it didn't stay holy afterwards. But the objects remained holy. And that's why they were buried. They remained holy. So we have eternity in the sense of objects of the Mishkan. And we have eternity in the sense of place Jerusalem, Temple Mount, is holy. Western Wall is holy. Right? Is that clear? Yeah? Good. Hi. Hi. So, how does the eternity express itself today? And how does the eternity of the fact that the Mishkan is representing in us, in the Holy of Holies, you know, that it's buried deep down inside of us, how do we reveal it? Mitzvahs? Absolutely. But... Usually when we do a mitzvah, we don't reveal it. You know, we have other, we have the outer layer. We have the inner layer. Not necessarily the core that is revealing. Let me explain. When you light your Shabbos candles, give tzedakah, right? Um, put on tefillin. Learn to art like now. Is the inner core of your being, that's what's motivating you to, to, uh, to do this now? Or it could be outer layer, you know, could be, uh, you know, um, you feel a gaping hole in your soul and you need this to feel good about yourself, which is wonderful, better than you're watching, a, you know, a sitcom to feel good <laughs> about yourself, right? Right? So that's, that's good. But that's not touching the inner soul, the inner core, right? right. Mm -hmm. And likewise, when you are putting out tefillin, not necessarily, right? Or, or lighting your Shabbos candles or giving charity. You know, charity could be a very feel-good thing, or it could be maybe deeper, you want to connect, but it's that it's touching the core of your being. And that's what's the motivation. Uh, you know. 
When does the Alter Rebbe say that when we touch that place? When it's do or die. About, you know, the, you know, the, the, the sword of the cross. We don't have that today. Right? Where the, the, there isn't a test of faith that we have to be ready to give up our faith. Right? We don't need to do that. So, um, got to figure out this. How are we going to do it today? So, perhaps the following. So, we, we mentioned about the heart, right? That the, um, we have the outer heart, which is the outer altar. Um, then we have the inner altar. And then we have the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, which is the quintessential, the Yahida in us, right? So perhaps this is how we can reach it on a daily basis. On a daily basis. Now, I, you're correct, you know, when you said about mitzvahs that we could do that, right? But naturally, we're not going to get there through doing just a regular mitzvah. Because that when we do a mitzvah, usually we're going to do it with, you know, who and what we are. Meaning, you know, with all our lovely foibles and, you know, needs that are, that are being fulfilled through the, the mitzvah that we're doing, which is wonderful. Again, it's wonderful that everybody's here for whatever reason that you're here, right? Unbelievable. And there is an essential bond and attachment that we have through the mitzvah. Absolutely. And especially Torah studies, we've learned that it's a, a unique bond with God that is no bond like that in anything because God's wisdom becomes our wisdom. So there's no question. But the, the, the question is, where, where do we come to be able to experience, right? Where can we have a, an opportunity at least the possibility to experience the deeper parts of the neshama of uh, of of the ark of the covenant, the holy of holies, that's in each and every single one of us. So perhaps we can understand this following: now that we don't have a holy temple, we don't have the mishkan, even though it's buried inside of us, and we want to try to to reveal it. So. What is its replacement today of the Holy Temple? Well, uh, yes, very good. A shul is, yes. And the purpose of the shul is? To unite. And the purpose of, and you unite in what manner? <laughs> oh, anybody here anybody home prayer and torah study ah prayer and torah thank you thank you <laughs> so a synagogue particularly is prayer also to base on midrash is more torah study but of course you can you know you can do both obviously right but it's uniquely a place of prayer right and in fact, since the destruction of the Holy Temple, that we don't have a place where we can bring offerings in the outer altar. So now what do we have? As our sages say in the Talmud, 
that is being replaced by prayer. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said in the Talmud and Brachas that prayers were instituted to correspond to the regular uh, sacrifices. Right? Sacrifice, morning sacrifice, is juxtaposed the Korban Tamid, the um, morning sacrifice. Then there was the afternoon sacrifice, that would be the Mincha prayer that we have today. And then you had the Kohanim overnight that they would stoke the fire to ensure that all parts of the afternoon sacrifices would be fully consumed because they had to be consumed in the, you know, in the rightful time and, and nothing should be left over. Right. And after, after all, what were sacrifices called? They're called karbonas, from the word karbon, from the word karav, which means closeness. closeness. Sacrifices are all about having a closeness with God. Right. What kind of closeness? Well, what kind of closeness? Hmm? A closeness that ultimately we can start from the outer part of the heart, go to the inner part, and ultimately to the very core of our heart, which is the Yechida, as we explained, right? The three parts of the Mishkan, the Azara, the courtyard, the Heichal, the Holy, and then the Holy of Holies, the Kedish Kadashim. So we begin on the outer layer of the heart and move in as much as we can to the inner part. And that's why prayer is like a ladder. You begin on the bottom rung and you go up as you're ascending. You're ascending closer to God. You know why? That's what the sacrifice is, is to get closer to God. But you're ascending in closeness to God because as you progress in the prayers, you're getting deeper inside every element of your heart, which represents in the worlds above going higher into the different worlds. You start off hoidu, acknowledging God. That's how we start off, to acknowledge God. It's the warm-up. And that's the world of Asiya, the world of action. Right? We're warming up. And then we come into the uh, Ashre and the Halalukas, right? Psukit the Zimra. We're going up around to the world of Yitzira. world of Yitzira is a world of emotion. And we're kind of getting into our emotions. You know, we start only on the out, you know, getting to the world of emotions to work with. And then we go into the, to connect, to connect through the Shema, awareness of God and the oneness of God. That's another, the third rung on the ladder, world of Bria, the world of creation. Then finally, we come to the Amida. And what's the Amida? The world of Atsilos. The world of complete abnegation, the world of Yechida. We touch the inner core of our being. The inner core of our being, we touch there. So here's prayer. What it's trying to do for us 
that reflects the Mishkan and the, that the Mishkan, you know, has the three dimensions to it, the outer heart, inner heart, and then the core, right? So we start the prayer with warm up exercise, so to speak, <laughs> then we come into the outer heart with the, with the Psuki de Zimra, with, for those who are familiar, all the way to Ishtabach. And that's the world of Yitzira, which the world of Yitzira is the world of divine emotion, right? Then we come to Bria, the world of divine intellection, intellect. We have a deeper awareness because we're reaching deeper into our hearts with a deeper awareness of the oneness of God. And then finally, we come to the Amida, right? And in the Amida, that's the world, that's called Yechida, which is the world of Atsilos, complete nullification of self, complete, you know, there's no me in a sense. All there, there is is the, 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 the me within the Yechida, the, the core of me is, is so sense of bound up with Hashem that on that level, you experience a much, much more profound, deeper level. And you know what the funny thing is? On that level, what do we do in the Amida? Anybody know? We approach God. We step uh, up. Well, well, we approach God throughout the prayer, but what's unique in the Amida? Hmm? We say it silently. Right. That's that's in how we express it it's it's more silent i mean silent in the sense that only your ear hears it not others you don't say it loud like other parts you'd say that's right that's in the way we say it but what's what's unique in in the amida that you don't find elsewhere in the prayers we can insert personal prayers you can very good you can insert personal prayer very good elka what else with that vilma you wanted to answer this question I had a separate question. So, so, so if you don't mind, if we can wait just for, I want to, don't want to lose the train of thought over here. If, if we can sure. wait just a moment. Okay. Thank you. And is, can I ask about the Amida? Is that the one where we step back and then step yes. forward and yes. then bend? Um, yes. It's very focused, concentrated prayer. Very. Okay. Exactly. So if you're so focused on that, what is unique about that we have in the Amida, Davida? It's private, only between you and Hashem, where all the other prayers you're saying. You guys saying. are amazing. You're great, but not answering my question. <laughs> Give us a hint. <laughs> it's the only place that we make any request from God. Oh, And the rest of prayers, take a look at your rest of the prayers. There isn't any request that we're making from God. We're praising God. We're thanking God. We're not asking anything of God. Only there can we do that. Why? How come? Because our soul that's buried deep down in us, the moisture that we have in us, the... Uh, the Ark of the Covenant that is reflected in the inner core of our being, 
of that part of us, that's what is being expressed at that time. Now, halavai that I should always, you know, I should be there and, and truly experience that. But we are on some level, we can. We, that's not, you know, it's not completely beyond us. Not completely. But we have the, 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 the capacity that the inner core, that it's that quintessential point from within, the Moshe Rabbeinu and us, the Holy of Holies of our Neshama at that time. Because when we, and, and you see that the request that we make is in plural. If it was the outer heart asking, I'd only ask for myself. If it's the inner heart asking, then I'm asking collectively. And when I'm asking, I'm asking from, you know, from a deeper place that is not a selfish need that I'm fulfilling, but I'm fulfilling a, go a, a godly need. Why do I need health? Not so I should feel good. The outer heart wants that. Right? The, that why I'm asking for health? Because through that health, I'll be able to truly serve God in a much better way. Why do I need livelihood? Why do I need wealth? It's because the outer heart would be because uh, just I feel it gives me security. It gives me the opportunity to do the things I want to do. But the Yechida is because through that, uh, I could truly serve you appropriately. I could, you know, be there and serve you so much better. This is, you know, what comes from the inner heart that we have. Now, there was such a person who, okay, uh, Vilma, uh, go ahead so, with your question. So this prayer also asks for um, pardoning of sins. Is it also like a complete and total, like, redemptive thing about healing, about pardoning, about all yep. the requests? Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. very, very powerful. Yeah, very. We've learned some of the par parts of it in Tanya throughout the year. We learned uh, different parts of it. Um, you know, the, the first thing that we actually ask um, is that God give us a mind so we could use our mind appropriately. You know, that's the first thing we actually ask. Um, then we ask for that, that we should do tshuva. Hashem, help us to do tshuva. That we come closer to you. And then, then the point that, Vilma, that you're making about the forgiveness, that God is abundantly forgiving and, and that we have an assurity that God is abundantly forgiving um, and, and, and so on. Um, I don't know, this, this Shabbos, the, the prayer, like, really brought out an emotion, and I, like, cried, like, my tears, like, um, I just felt like it touched me more, even though I've, like, read the words before. So, so that, that's good, because, you know, sometimes I read the words, and, and, I, and I feel it deeply, and sometimes I read the words, and, uh, you know, uh, my mind is... Um, maybe not so it's not so focused <laughs> so i don't so i'm not you know truly uh 
that, that happens to, yeah but that's that's beautiful yeah so um this deeper level of the prayer that i want to touch upon okay comes from you know when we speak about like the core essence so what does that really mean so take a, pa a parent child relationship that there's a core essential bond between a parent and a child. And this is ultimately what it means when you're standing before God in your prayer, the beginning of the prayer, and then when you come to the Amida and you are engaged in, you know, your, your, you speaking directly to God, at that time, it's like a child before their father. So that sense that we have as a simple child before their father and that we are asking and we could ask and ask and ask. Sometimes we will feel that, hey, it's enough I've asked. And why would we feel that? Because we don't feel really like a child before, before God, before our father. But if we really feel like that child, then we can ask. And the asking sense, it's the, in the Amida, and we said it's coming from the deeper part of the Nishama. So the asking isn't to be a nudge. God wants us to feel that we're like his child before him asking. He wants that. He desires that. And when we can get to that, place in our heart right so the outer heart you know we got to fix things so the inner heart um is you know what we want to feel whole and connected the essence the, the yachida you're a child before your father and therefore if you're a child before your father of course right you don't ask you don't ask of course you ask uh, you're asking from the innocence that it's your father that can provide for you. And you're asking from, you know, that place that you feel connected. And of course, this is where I need to ask. And the only place. So that gives us a capability and an opportunity that maybe we can touch that deeper part of the Meshur Rabbeinu and us, the Ark of the Covenant that's hidden and buried within our yachida that is most definitely there, we have that opportunity. That. So there was a very famous Jew called Chene Amado. And he made a, um, once the Jews didn't have rain, so he made a circle and he stood inside the circle and he wouldn't leave the circle until God would give rain until God would give rain. First, it came down like a little trips, then thunderous. So no, 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 God, give it in a way that it's good for the Jews. <laughs> Don't give it in a way that it's not good. 
Give it in a way that they're going to appreciate it. Drips they're not going to appreciate. Floods they're not going to appreciate. <laughs> Give it in a manner that will be visible and clear goodness he was asking for. So likewise, we all know that everything that God does is for good. We know that. But it doesn't mean it's obvious, clear goodness in our lives. So when we're asking, that's what we're asking for, for all of us. Tzachonia Magal didn't pray for himself. He prayed for the Jewish people that they should have. And this is what the Rebbe explains. How did he approach the child? Story of Choyne Amagel's prayer teaches every Jew how to pray. Every Jew is God's child, as it's stated, you're the children of the Lord your God. Regardless of what status or circumstance, as the sages put it, this is the this is this way or that way, they are my children. In other words, you know, whether they're on, on target in serving me or not on target, whatever it is, they're still my children. Therefore, the prayer that any Jew offers up to God must be in this manner as a child, indulging indulged by their father. This means that you turn to God and firmly ask once, then a second time, then a third time. That's what he, he asked once, came drips. A second time, came flood. Then a third time. You know why? Because God wants to hear. Sometimes it takes a few times, right? Take or more times <laughs> that you request has not been fully met. This is not what I asked for, right? In other words, he asked it should be something. Conversely, Rebbe continues, if you see that the blessing extended to you is so generous that you no longer have the capacity to receive it, you should say unabashedly that in your present state, I'm unable to receive this. And therefore, go ahead and ask for blessings that match your present state. All of this is because you are like a child indulged by your father. Your father's indulging you. He's giving you three times a day an opportunity that you can stand before him. That's what he's doing three times a day. That's pretty indulgent. Think about it. That's like, wow. And you're a child. So you were requesting. Ah, it's not coming to you. It came to you not the way you uh, asked or wanted. So you yeah, I can't receive this. I this is a, doesn't fit where I'm at now. Please give it in accordance to where I'm holding. Now, even though this conduct is Ha, <laughs> did this, not you and I, right? The sages have said that a person is obligated to aspire to reach the accomplishments of the great people, even the likes of our forefathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Moreover, once Chaniya Magal opened the path, uh, paved this path, it becomes easier for every Jew to act this way. So, yeah, so we could be like Chaniya Magal. Uh, we're not holy like him. Doesn't matter. We are still his children. We're God's children. If we approach our prayer in such a way as God's children, right? So therefore, because we have the intrinsic connection, the unbreakable bond, the Moshe that's inside of us, the Yachid of the soul that's eternal, that's the core of the child relationship to the father. As to Hashem. 
we're connected. Now, Sochenia Magal is much more consciously aware of this and much more attuned to this. And by us, it's buried. The Mishkan is buried. Our soul is buried deep within us, but we can reveal it. If we stand before Hashem in such a way, there's no question that He will listen. And yes, we can dare to emulate Chonya Magal, even though we're not righteous like Him, because again, the intrinsic connection is there. All we need to do is to reveal it. And finally, what do we want to ultimately reveal? So I think uh, Davida, uh, I think she put into the chat over here. Ultimately, if you look at the Amida as a child before Hashem, so we ask for good mental capacity one time. We ask for health one time. We ask for livelihood and uh, you know for, for wealth one time. But for Mashiach, we ask maybe eight different ways. Maybe eight different references, something like that. I don't remember exactly. Many, many references to Mashiach. And this is ultimately what God is waiting for, that we should you know, stand before him. And this is what we continue to ask. And we don't stop asking for redemption, right? We can be indulged because this is the ultimate hope and prayer that we have in, right? That the two holy temples that were taken as collateral, meaning God's holding on to them. Why? Because he's waiting for our tshuva. Prayer is, tshuva means to return. Prayer is about coming close to God, right? The outer heart, outer heart to the inner heart to the childlike quintessential point of our being that we are you know children to Hashem and that when we where can now we're like that in everything we do there's no doubt but unique about prayer is that it's made in such a way that I can get to that part within me in the Amida to make the request and to make the ultimate request. As the Rebbe says, now if it is true of prayers that an individual Jew makes from their own private needs, it is all the more so for the prayers and the pleas that every Jew makes to which the prayers and pleas of the Jewish people are joined with regard to redemption. As every Jew hopes, anticipates, thirsts, for asks and demands in the Amida when they declare, cause the Sean of David, your servant, to speedily flourish. We hope for your salvation all day. All day. When we then further demand, how much longer? Ad Masai. Certainly, this prayer and plea must be in a manner of a child whose behavior is indulged by their parent. Any questions? Any comments? Powerful stuff. Powerful, powerful stuff. Is there a class for this that, that we just taught?
I'm not, what do you mean a class about? About, about, the, prayer, inner, about prayers? the inner heart, the outer heart, and all the, the prayers, everything you said after that. Well, I mean, I, we gave a class today based, you know, we explained the outer heart is about, um, you know, the outer heart that we have desires for things that are, you know, scattered and maybe not so healthy. And that's why we bring a sacrifice on the simple level, right? The sacrifice is to bring an offering to Hashem, to, to bring closer to Hashem, the animal soul within us, the animal that we bring on the altar is the animal within us. So that's the first level in prayer, right? Then we come to a deeper part in prayer of the inner altar, of the deeper connection that we're seeking, right? The deeper connection that we're seeking, um there it's not about fixing something how do we make that inner uh connection we do it through chuva we do it through torah study right it's about doing good it's like the incense on the uh, inner altar it's a beautiful smell right on the other altar you had animals it didn't have such a beautiful smell naturally because you know our animal is not beautiful mm -hmm. Right, and then we come to from the inner altar of the incense, which is the a deeper place from within us, and we come to the holy of holies, the quintessential, the core, and that reflects in the fact that like we're a child before Hashem, that we come to a place of of complete self abnegation before Hashem, and at that place we ask. We don't ask anywhere else in prayer. There we ask. And we ask in a way that God is indulgent of us. And we can ask three times a day. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, getting to the inner place within us of that childlike um, before Hashem. And therefore, we can not only we can ask, but we can even ask when it's not exactly the way we want it. And if you're asking out of the outer heart so that's you know not the point right then it's then it's our indulgence if we're asking from the as a child before hashem that's different mm. right that that's different so you know that's a place we need to try to reach to and try to um touch within us is that, is that making sense, folks? Yeah. yeah, I just, I wanted to know if you, if you teach, like, I have a Sador, but you said a bunch of stuff. I'm new to all this. Like, you said a bunch of stuff that you just, like, breeze through it. Do you have a, how, yeah, where no, would I learn? I know, I, I don't, I don't have a, I, I mean, no, I don't, I haven't done anything on the Sador itself specifically. I mean, I, um. I think my son label has done some things on the Siddur, maybe. Um, and then I'm sure on Chabad.org you could find some things. Okay. Uh, but I don't have anything specific. I mean, I'm here and there, but nothing specific. Sorry. Thank you. No, thanks. Thanks. All right. Any other questions, comments, thoughts? Rabbi, um, 
in Yom Kippur during the high holidays, isn't that a time when um, the deepest level of the soul is also accessed? Yes, the, the difference, we can do this um, on a daily basis, so to speak, on some, on some manner. The difference is Yom Kippur, it's more accessible to all, you know, that's a difference. It's, it's more accessible. So it's, it's, it's harder to do it today. It's harder to feel like on Yom Kippur, it's easier to feel that you're a child before Hashem. We right? can't reach the level of Mila by regular prayers, by a meter or anything. So in, in that sense, you know, when, when you're like that child before Hashem, so, you know, you're right. It, it, it's harder uh, now to do that, but, you know, this is, you know, this is where the capacity we have. And that's why prayer is, you know, um, you know, so valuable, invaluable. Right. Because of that. Any other in questions? When it talks about the prayer about um, having a perfect heart, is that what this is about? Like developing that perfect heart through prayer? Um, yeah, yeah, in a sense, that's the, you know, the inner core of the heart. That, to, yep, she has uh, to join the Tanya class. <laughs> she does, she does. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, um, but it, it, it's, it's not, um, should I express it? In, yeah, and it's expressed over here is that simple child who the father is indulgent of, you know, bringing the presence of that child in before uh, three times a day and ask. And, and it doesn't have to be just three times a day, anytime, right? That uh, that we know that we can that we can ask and and we should ask, and asking, you know, not saying to God, okay, God, you know, we know everything you do is good, and therefore we accept everything. Of course, we accept everything, but that's not what prayer is about. Accepting everything, prayer is about asking that it should be revealed goodness. Right? When we're asking for health. We're asking for wealth. So we're not asking that the wealth should be in a way or the health should be in a manner that I don't see the goodness of it. Right? We're asking that we should, we should perceive the goodness of it. That's what Chayni Amagel, right? He stood in the circle there and he uh, and prayed to Hashem. I'm not moving out of here until you take care of the Jews. So first he brought some drips and drabs of water in the drought and uh, no 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 that's not what we're talking about you know <laughs> then in a gush of you know of, of water that was too much no 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 god that's not no 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 that's not what we're talking about over here that's not what we're looking for right now he did it in pure innocence right he did it because he revealed the yachid of his neshama now we could do it in pure chutzpah, right? And not innocence of a child. He did it in the innocence of a child. 
met what what was the innocence of the child? He was like, he's a tzaddik. He wasn't like a, you know, what do you mean the innocence of the child? What does it mean exactly? He got to such a place inside of him, the of the innocence of the child. Right? And and yet he's, you know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Right? The Lubavitcher Rebbe gets to that place, the innocence of a child before Hashem. With all the wisdom, with all of the greatness of the person, you're standing before Hashem. That's how you're standing. In the simplicity, the pureness, the yachida of the child standing before Hashem. That's, you know, not talking about a child like, you know, playing, uh, you know, uh, kids' games here. Talking about a, a, you know, very profound, beautiful idea that we all have, you know, the, the capacity to, to, you know, listen, with everything said and done, it's, it's not an easy thing to get there. Right? It's not a simple thing that we're going to get there in our prayers. And it's, it's not so much about that I'm feeling it. It's that I am it, that you are. Right? Once you're feeling it, it's kind of like, uh, like it's, uh, it's, you're not that innocent child anymore. <laughs> you're the uh, spiritual seeker, right? Maybe, and not the innocence of that child. The innocence of that child is that you are. Not you are. I don't even know how to explain it. I don't know how to say it. You are it. And to such a degree, you're not even conscious of it. When you're kind of conscious of it, you're not really it anymore. And it's like you're playing a role. And we do that. We do that. Right? And only because, hey, it's not a simple thing to reach. But we have the wherewithal. Because, why? Because we have Moshe Rabbeinu in us. We have the Mishkan is buried. And the metaphor that it's buried inside of us, that level of the, of the Mishkan. Hi, thank you, folks. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you all. A good tovach to everybody. A wonderful week. And uh, enjoy your davening. Thanks, Rabbi. You will. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. You will. Bye-bye. Cheers.